My name is David McDermott. I'm a medical oncologist in Boston. I lead the kidney cancer program at the Dana-Farber Harvard Cancer Center, and I work at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. I'm here today to talk about the treatment of non-clear cell uh, renal cell carcinoma. Um, in general, most of the therapies that are available for patients with kidney cancer or renal cell carcinoma have been approved on trials that mostly included patients with what we call clear cell renal cell carcinoma or clear cell kidney cancer. Clear cell kidney cancer is sort of the predominant uh, flavor of kidney cancer with about 70 or 80 percent of patients with, who develop kidney cancer having clear cell kidney cancer. There's about 20 or 30 percent of patients who are diagnosed with non-clear cell kidney cancer, which is really sort of a basket of tumors that while they arise in the kidney, they're often very different, meaning they have a very different appearance under the microscope. They have often different genetic changes that may lead to or drive the cancer. So there are you know, many cancers that happen in small numbers of patients that are grouped together. And this is one of the reasons why advances have been slow in patients with non-clear cell kidney cancer, um, because it's relatively less common, and it's really multiple diseases in one basket. So when you see some of the exciting developments over the last couple of years with new therapies, both that work through the immune system or new uh, molecularly targeted therapies, um, most of the patients who've gone on these trials have been patients with clear cell cancer. And to a large extent, patients with non-clear cell cancer have been excluded from these trials. So there haven't been many advances for non-clear cell patients, and we certainly have an unmet need for safe and effective treatment options for these people. One of the exciting developments that came from uh, preclinical and uh, translational experiments that folks in my group and others have done over the last several years is they sort of set the predicate for testing immune therapies in patients with non-clear cell kidney cancer. Traditionally, immune therapies like cytokine therapies, for example, interleukin-2 or interferon, have worked less well in non-clear cell kidney cancer than in uh, clear cell patients. Um, and therefore, when the early trials with PD-1 antibodies that also work through the immune system were developed, because of the experience with cytokine therapies, patients with non-clear cell um, were excluded from the PD-1-based trial. That probably was a mistake, a mistake that I mentioned that other investigators are trying to correct by first, once these drugs became available, testing them in patients with non-clear cell kidney cancer and getting a sense from small retrospective analyses that PD-1 blockade, the newer version of immune therapy, actually had some activity in non-clear cell kidney cancer, but also studying the actual patient's tumors to look at the uh, immune infiltrate in these tumors and to see that um, the ligand for PDL one was actually expressed on uh, non-clear cell uh, kidney cancer. Um, so that those two developments set the stage for clinical trials. Um, the largest clinical trial to look at non-clear cell kidney cancer with these new immune checkpoint inhibitors or PD-1 blockade is the so-called Keynote uh, 427 clinical trial. That trial was a single arm study with two cohorts. 
The first cohort was the clear cell cohort of about 110 patients that was presented last year at several meetings. And this year, we're excited to present the data from cohort B, which is 165 patients with exclusively non-clear cell kidney cancer uh, that will pre be presented at the GU ASCO meeting in San Francisco this weekend. Um, and what we've known from the data that's available is it turns out that you know what we studied in this um, trial was looking at PD-1 blockade with pembrolizumab um, in patients with non-clear cell kidney cancer. And in those patients, the, the approach was actually fairly active meaning we saw a response rate in the overall group of non-clear cell patients of 25%. I think that was higher than we would have expected in non-clear cell kidney cancer patients. Most of the patients enrolled in the trial were papillary kidney cancer, where the response rate was also 25%. Um, the response rate in patients with unclassified kidney cancer was 35%, um, and in chromophobe tumors, it was less at, at 10%. In tumors that had PDL1 staining on their surface, their response rate was higher than if they were PDL1 negative. There was a response rate of 33% in the PDL1 positive patients versus close to 10% in the PDL1 negative patients, suggesting that potentially PDL1 staining in the tumor microenvironment might be a way of predicting response. As far as safety goes, uh, pembrolizumab was generally well tolerated in the Keynote 427 study. Um, you know, similar to how it's been tolerated in other trials that were not new side effects seen. A 6% of patients actually had to stop treatment due to side effects. Um, there were two treatment-related deaths on the study. So we obviously have to monitor side effects closely, but in general, the agent was tolerated as well in non-clear cell patients as it was in clear cell patients. So when we think about this interesting data, we obviously have to you know, take into account all the other advances that are being made. But when you consider that there are very few, and right now, no approved therapies just for non-clear cell kidney cancer, you know, one question would be, can pembrolizumab be applied in the clinic um, for patients with non-clear cell disease? Um, and the short answer is not right now, um, meaning because pembrolizumab is not um, approved um, in the U.S. or Europe for patients with kidney cancer but potentially in the future. So this data is interesting enough that we, you know, we might consider uh, you know, trying to get it uh, approved for patients um, in the U.S. and in Europe. And hopefully in the future, there'll be discussions with the FDA and, and the EMA about whether this is possible. That may require further studies. So for example, we might have to consider randomized trials to build on the results of the Keynote 427 study, but that discussion is ongoing. Another exciting direction in the future will be trying to expand on what we know um, about which patients with non-clear cell cancer respond to a PD-1 blockade and which do not. There's a series of you know, translational uh, studies that are part of the uh, Keynote 427 study that are underway right now to try to understand you know, which patients benefit and which do not, you know, which patients with non-clear cell a benefit, are they the same as the clear cell patients or are they uh, different? Meaning are they the patients who already have an immune infiltrate in their tumors or not? You know, are there specific genetic factors that may predispose to a response um, in non-clear cell kidney cancer? Um, and if so, you know, what are they? Because ideally in the, in the future, 
we are rationally applying these therapies to patients more likely to benefit. And the early results of the uh, Keynote 427 study suggests that we might be able to select patients who can benefit from um, single agent therapy. Um, another exciting development at, that will be presented at the GUASCO meeting this year is also combinations based on, on PD-1 blockade. So looking at um, molecularly targeted agents like atezolizumab and bevacizumab, there'll be data on those two approaches. There's also going to be data on PDL1 blockade and another uh, targeted therapy called salvolitinib, um, which, you know, so essentially at least three trials that I'm aware of um, focused on, you know, can we bring uh, immune therapy to our non-clear cell patients? It looks like there's some hope that we can, but we're going to have to figure out how best to give it, is it alone or in combination, who to give it to, and how best we can get these agents available to patients who are not going on clinical trials but have these diagnoses. I mean, I think it's clear that there is certainly hope on the horizon, but we need to be strategic in how we develop these agents so we can get them to the right patient at the right time.